Turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're not like starting the book of Nehemiah over. Don't be afraid. What is Jared doing? What's happening? We've already did that. We spent like four weeks in chapter 1. Nope. Thank you, Hazel. This morning, we're hitting the pause button on our, our normal study through Nehemiah. As we kick off our, our week, we've adopted and loved life's 40-week uh, journey of hope. And today, I'm going to share a special message on the, on the sanctity of life I've titled, A Burden for Life. A Burden for Life. And we'll be hearing also from the Antioch City Director for Love Life, Sophia, uh, Sophia Gavino, in just a little bit. But first, let's read Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 to, to just kind of ground our time here. Verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This morning we're going to focus on a major area of brokenness and reproach of disgrace that exists in our world today and that's the area surrounding the issue of the sanctity of human life and abortion. You know, we're aware, at least in some general sense, all of us are to, to varying degrees, what's going on with abortion in our state, what's been going on for 50 years now in our country. It's weird to say that, right? 50 years is a long time. But it's good for us to hear and know and be reminded of how God's... Uh, of be reminded of God's view of life and specifically regarding life in the womb. I'm, as I thought about Nehemiah, and we considered this when we were diving into this portion of Nehemiah in our normal sort of verse-by-verse -verse study, that Nehemiah was not in Jerusalem. He was not connected to the people of Jerusalem. He was far removed from the city of Jerusalem. He could have easily said, that's their problem. They got themselves into this mess. That, you know, yes, I'm connected ethnically to them, but that's not, that's not my group. I don't know them. He, he could have kind of just kind of closed his heart as he heard the news from Hanani, his, his brother, and some of the others, but the example of Nehemiah is the example for all of us, not just with the situation of abortion, but any area of brokenness where, where things are not where God would intend them to be should affect our lives in some way. We have grown so accustomed to hearing about bad news all the time. We hear about atrocities and horrors and, and people doing messed up things to one another, and it just is... It's jaded us in some way where, where stuff doesn't impact us. I would say, and I'm just going to guess for most of us, that in our day-to-day -day lives and maybe even over the past year, none of us have re responded to any sort of news the way that Nehemiah has here. 
None of us have broken down, fallen to the ground, and just wept over a situation that we are not personally connected to. It's different when it's like my neighbor next door. It's my coworker. It's my family member. And so I've got this personal thing, and so it hits me hard because it's personal. But it's completely different when it's far removed. Remember, Nehemiah is over 800 miles away. He's in Shushan. He's not even in Jerusalem. But the things that are happening in our day, the, the issue of abortion, are not just stuff you know, 800 plus miles removed from us. It's in our backyard. It's down the street. It's next door. It's happening all around us. We need to be able to hear some of these things with a softness of heart like Nehemiah did, where we allow the Lord to burden us over the brokenness that exists, being broken over the things that are close to God's heart. A burden that would not only cause us to mourn and weep and confess and repent, but would also drive us to spirit-filled action to do something about the brokenness that exists so that it it doesn't stay that way any longer. And so this morning, I want us to consider some of the different aspects involved with the subject of abortion and the sanctity of human life, doing it with gentleness and respect very much, just at the the get-go. We're not just going, we love the babies. Well, let's, we need to be angry at the moms and angry at the abortion workers. We need to be angry at the dads are involved. No, we have love for all of these people. We desire the Lord to do a, a radical work in all of these individuals. So as we come to this subject, please don't let maybe what you've seen of some Christians in our world be the thing that affects how you hear the things that we're going to consider this morning. Please, we need to consider some of these things so that we'll gain the heart of God and have a burden for life for the preborn and also for the women and the men that are facing difficult situations and are considering an abortion or maybe have already had one, that the Lord would use us to help lead people to choose life for their preborn babies and spiritual, eternal life for themselves in Jesus Christ, and also that the Lord would use us to come alongside those who have had an abortion to lead them to the one who wants to forgive and heal and bring hope and restoration, and that's our Jesus. So let's start where all things must start, or they should start, I should say, and that's God's word, and begin with having a, a proper, prop, proper, proper, Proper biblical foundation for life. Check out what God said in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
If we are the only beings in all of creation that have been made in the image of God, this means that we have been given inherent value by God himself as those who bear his image, a value so great that Jesus willingly sacrificed his own life so that he could save, he could redeem, he could deliver us from eternal separation from God in order to bring us into his family to live eternally with him. That value is a value given only, only to human beings. And that value begins at the moment of conception, which is the moment a new life is created in the womb. You know, at that very moment, as the, as the sperm and egg come together, a new DNA, separate from the mom and the dad, is there already with that child's gender and hair color and all of those things, all the things that you and I have are there at that minuscule, microscopic level. It's all there. It doesn't change and become more valuable over the course of that 40-week pregnancy. It doesn't change the moment it, that baby exits the womb. We don't look at an older person in life and say, man, they are more valuable now because they have more, there's more life there. No, we go, that's a life. It's a valuable life. And that life is valued and should be valued by us even at that very beginning. Let's check out just a few passages that speak about life in the womb. Check out what the psalmist David wrote in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. He said, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. David, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is giving these insights about the work of God in the womb. That he was not an accident, was not a mistake. When we think about being fearfully and wonderfully made, we don't go, oh man, oops. You know, there are oops pregnancies. Like, we didn't, didn't mean for that to happen. But that oops doesn't make that life any less valuable. It's just as valuable. God looks at that life and goes, fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully, wonderfully made. That's something all of us should be able to say when we think of the miracle of conception, life in the womb. All that happens over those 40 weeks, all of the maturity and the development that happens within the womb, man, it's a miracle. It's amazing. The psalmist here is noting that 
even not being fully formed yet in the womb, that God, in his book, had written all the days fashioned for him even before he got to live outside of the womb. All, the, all, all those things that speak of the kind of value that God attributes to a life in the womb that he clearly has a plan for. But, but let's look at two other passages from Luke chapter one that also speak about life in the womb. First, Luke chapter one, verses 13 through 15, and then we'll look at verses 39 through 44 of that same chapter. But Luke chapter one, in verse 13, it says, but the angel said to him, this is speaking of Zacharias, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. Sorry, this is the following passage. And entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. In that first passage, the angel is giving Zacharias a message from the Lord, telling Zacharias things about his son who hadn't even yet been conceived, this child who would be known as John the Baptist. And among those things, we're told about the child uh, who Zacharias and Elizabeth would conceive in their old age in verse 15 is that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. I want us to understand and take note of the fact that throughout Scripture, only living human beings and not any other creature are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's an, an important distinction to be mindful of. So for the child who will be conceived in Elizabeth's womb, that child must be considered alive, must be considered a human being for the Lord to fill that child with the Spirit from that earliest point of life. But then in that second passage, the time markers are important as we consider that passage. Elizabeth is six months along in her pregnancy and Mary is only three months along in her pregnancy at six months along inside elizabeth's womb john heard mary's greeting and leaped for joy experienced joy and excitement in his mother's womb at the recognition of mary's greeting and his proximity to the messiah and at three months along elizabeth who was filled with the holy spirit and spoke by the leading of the holy spirit knew that Mary at that early stage of pregnancy was carrying the Messiah and called that baby in Mary's womb at three months of development her Lord, giving him that title at the present moment that at three months 
three months of development in the womb, that that baby was her Lord long before he was even born. All of this just reinforces how important it is for us to have a biblically informed view of life where God's word is the foundation for how we see and think about every single thing. And this includes life in the womb. Many in our day are missing that key biblical foundation that should be informing how they view the sanctity of human life. But added to that foundational aspect to this issue of the sanctity of life and abortion, we also need to remember that there's a spiritual battle surrounding all of this as well, and I want us to focus on that for a bit. There is a major spiritual deception and blindness surrounding the issue of abortion and the value of human life in the womb. Check out a few passages that speak into the reality of the spiritual element going on in the lives of unbelievers that definitely is seen playing out in the abortion issue. First, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verses three and four, we're told, but even if our gospel is veiled, Paul says there, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, notice God with a little g, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Then in 1 John chapter five, verses 19 and 20, the apostle John says, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And then in John eight forty four, Jesus speaking to some, uh, some of the Jewish people who were rejecting His message, He says, "'You are of your father, the devil.'" And the desires of your father you want to do. Jesus says about Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Don't these passages perfectly speak into what we're seeing in our day when it comes to the issue of the sanctity of life and and abortion? People's minds are blinded. They're under the sway, the control of the wicked one, Satan, and they're deceived to the truth of what's really going on by the original murderer and father of lies, Satan. Guys, Satan has been a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. And when he speaks, as Jesus says, he speaks a lie because he's speaking from his own resources. And so blindness, being swayed by the enemy, lies and deception, murder, these are... These are things ingrained into the abortion issue and it shows who's really behind all of this. It's it's Satan. But those realities should also give us compassion for those who are blinded, who are under the sway of the wicked one, who have believed in lies regarding life in the womb, lies which have their source in Satan. Our spiritual enemy, Satan, has always hated human life. Satan knew that sin would lead to death, so we see Satan's desire to eradicate human life even in the Garden of Eden and see that throughout Scripture. The Pharaoh's desire to kill all the babies in Moses' day. There's a satanic sort of 
motivation there. King Herod's drive to eliminate all the baby boys under two years old that when Jesus was born, that's, that's, that's Satan at work to eradicate life, to, to pinpoint children. And we see it in our modern day with how much of our world has made abortion an acceptable and encouraged practice. But having said all that, our spiritual enemy wants to keep people deceived their eyes blinded to how horrible abortion truly is, believing the lie that abortion is a perfectly acceptable and normal option over choosing life for their preborn babies. And then if a woman has had an abortion, Satan wants to keep those women in a state of guilt and condemnation, feeling like Jesus could never love them or want them or receive them, that he definitely could never forgive them or save them or bring healing to them or, or transform their lives by his love and grace and salvation. But those things couldn't be further from the truth. That's just another lie of the devil. There's a major spiritual battle going on surrounding the issue of abortion and that's a battle that we need to fight in prayer. But there's another aspect to this issue that we need to be mindful of and that's the personal and public aspect of what people are dealing with and what they're being taught and led to believe by the godless world around us. Women and men find themselves in desperate sorts of situations. Many don't feel ready or maybe don't feel capable maybe of raising or providing for a child. They're maybe in situations where it's abusive and they're feel fearful for their unborn child and, and even for some others, feel that the child in their womb is a hindrance, an obstacle to their life plans and goals. And our godless society only reinforces to those women and men that abortion is normal, it's acceptable, it's harmless, and even tries to make them feel that it can be the right thing to do, the compassionate thing to do. Now, I'm not in any way making light of the difficult situation that many women who are considering an abortion might find themselves in. I would never make light of that. I have compassion for those who are in difficult and desperate sorts of positions. It's important that we understand where many women and men are at who are considering this so that we can have compassion and be able to minister effectively to those who are considering an abortion or who have had an abortion. We've already considered the spiritual dynamic involved that, that people are being blinded and lied to about life, but the prevalent voices in society are making people feel like they're being cared for by those in the abortion industry. Now, while some in the abortion industry may know full well what they're doing and the corruption and horrors they're perpetrating, I'm sure there are others who don't have the biblical worldview that you and I have who have been blinded and lied to by the devil regarding life in the womb who genuinely feel like abortion is the compassionate and caring option and just don't see the truth of what's really going on. People who are going into Planned Parenthood to have an abortion are being told, and you can find this on their website. I'm not even taking it out of context. These are words that they have put on their website that they stand for care. 
They're being told that abortions are one of the safest medical procedures someone can have. Being told that most people are relieved and don't regret their decision who get an abortion. But what they're not being told is that they're ending a life. They're killing the life of a baby. In fact, the terminology used on the Planned Parenthood website about their baby is that it's just pregnancy tissue. That's the the terminology that's used. It's just pregnancy tissue that's being removed surgically or expelled through medication. And they're being told to stay away from crisis pregnancy centers because in their own words, crisis pregnancy centers uh, or pregnancy resource centers are, are shady and have a harmful agenda and will lie to them and not provide real health care to them. Now, we can get angry about these things. Like, man, that's not true. But would these things help us to take a step back and understand what are people being taught? What are they hearing? And what they hear, they're going, yeah, that's it. They do care. And that should give us a level of compassion for people that are being lied to. These things are important for us to know because this is what people are being led to believe. And we need to understand that there is automatically for a lot of people a lot of apprehension and distrust if someone comes to them urging them to choose life and not have an abortion that someone from a pro-life position does not really care for them but just wants to further, again, their shady or harmful agenda. You know, it's clear that abortion has become a political issue with political backing. And and the angle that's been spun is that those who support abortion, the right to abortion, are the ones who really care, whose doors are open, who are providing support. But you know what that means? We have to fight hard to change people's perception about us. Because no one should care more about vulnerable, hurting, broken, desperate people than us as Christians. No one. We should be the ones who have our doors open, who are ready and willing and eager to provide support. And this isn't, this isn't a condemning word, but just as I, as I thought about this, that the, the influence of the church over the last 50 years, I, I believe the church has failed in a lot of ways. There's a lot of failures when it comes to the abortion crisis. We failed to instill a biblical foundation that would reinforce God's value of life. We fail to be a voice for the voiceless, speaking the truth in love. We've at other times failed to misrepresent the heart of God for those who are deceived who are having abortions because you know what? We're speaking the truth without love. We failed while emphasizing care for life in the womb to not emphasize our care for the women and men who are feeling like abortion is their only option. We failed at times in making our churches a place of refuge and hope and love and grace and forgiveness and healing for those who are considering an abortion or who have had one and failed in letting the government be the agency to come alongside those in crisis pregnancy sorts of situations when God has called us as the church to be those agents, those ambassadors of his to walk alongside those in crisis pregnancy sorts of situations so that they choose life for their babies and choose eternal life in Jesus Christ for themselves. For us as Christians, the pro-life stance should not be one where we only think of the preborn child in the womb wanting to protect that life. We should, 
but it should also be one where we think of and take action in wanting to minister to and support and be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who might consider life or who do, cho- or who do choose life for their babies but will need extra care in order to actually make that choice and follow through with it. This might mean taking in women who are in crisis sorts of situations. It might mean making sure a struggling couple is supported in practical ways who just don't think they have enough to bring a baby into this world. It might mean some of us becoming foster families for kids in the foster care system. And it might mean adopting kids who need a loving, godly family. But listen, God is working and moving in these dark days And I believe God wants to stir us as we gain a burden for life and fill us with his his hope as we seek to be on mission for Jesus in every aspect of what that should mean. And so with that, I'm gonna invite Sophia Gavino from uh, Love Life to come share with us. And so Sophia, if you'd come up here and let's give her a warm welcome as she comes to share. Good morning. How is everyone? Uh, like Pastor Jared had said, my name is Sophia Gavino, and I'm the missionary in our NorCal Antioch chapter with Love Life. And it is such an honor to be here with you this morning. We are so grateful for Pastor Jared and for your church for opening up your hearts and arms to us today. Um, Before we get started, I just want to reiterate some things that Pastor Jared had said. You know, it's not enough. We're not just talking about hating the sin of abortion. Um, And it's not enough to just say that we hate the sin of abortion. Amen? We want to go further and show people who Christ is. And so as wonderful as it is, I'm going to share some amazing statistics of babies that have been saved. and, And it's so encouraging. But we can't just stop there. Our ministry is about seeing people's lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to show you a video this morning about Alicia. Alicia's story is so powerful, and this is our hope for all the moms that we encounter. You could just click twice when you get to the video. I didn't know who Christ was until almost three years ago. It was something that I believed in, but I really didn't have a passion about being pro-life and standing for babies. Day and age that we're living in, all the turbulent times going on right now, uh, that wasn't a time to be a Christian and sitting on the fence. I learned about love life in February, at the end of February. I started volunteering and going out there 
Amen. It's powerful, right? And we've had the privilege of seeing moms locally here in our, our county choosing life and coming to the saving faith in Jesus Christ. And we want to see more stories like Alicia's. Amen. Amen. Next slide. Love Life is uniting and mobilizing the church to create a culture of love and life that will result in the end to the abortion, uh, the end to abortion and the orphan crisis. Next slide. We believe that it is the church that God is going to use to end this issue. We can't wait for our governor in California to change this issue. Amen. We can't wait for our president to change this issue. Even with the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, we still see that abortion is very much legal in our nation. So we believe that God is calling his church to lead in culture. And as we live out the command that we've been given in scripture, culture will follow after. Politicians will follow after. Next slide. The tragic truth of abortion here in the United States that uh, cancer is not the leading cause of death, heart disease is not the leading cause of death, it is abortion. Every week, 17,000 babies lose their lives every single week in our nation due to abortion. One in four men and women have had abortion in their past. So we know that it takes two to make a baby. Amen. And so when a woman chooses abortion, that greatly impacts the fathers as well. 
And so in a group this size, um, with varying different backgrounds and experiences, there is a possibility that there are people in this room that have been personally affected by abortion, either with themselves or someone in their family. 54% of all of the women who get abortions identify as being Christians. Next slide. Not only do 54% of all the women who identify as being Christian get abortions, four out of 10 women, so 40% of all women who get abortions have attended church at least one time during the month of their pregnancy. That means that we could very well be sitting in the pews next to someone on Sunday, and that week they would go to the abortion center to take care of their crisis and go to an abortion center that would get, they would get counsel that leads to death rather than them running to the sisters and the mothers of the church, rather than them running to the pastors of the church to get counsel that leads to life. They're actually choosing death. And you know what else that means? That means that the Christian church, we are funding the abortion industry 40% every year. Next slide. Now I want you to, to know that this is not a ministry of shame and condemnation. We are a ministry of hope and of healing. We want to see people restored from the past sin of abortion. We know that there are men and women that are suffering silently in the pews of churches all across this nation. And they might be saved, but they may have fear. They may be locked behind a prison door, not wanting anyone to know what they did when they chose abortion. And we want to see people move on to wholeness in Christ. Amen? Amen. Next slide. Prayer is the key. God tells us to ask. He tells us to seek. He tells us to knock. He tells us to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. And so that's what we're doing. We're asking him to change hearts and minds. We're asking him to mobilize the church. We're asking him to save babies, and we're asking him to make people a new creation in Christ. Next slide. So let's look at some amazing statistics. So these numbers are constantly changing, praise God. But over the last seven years now, we launched Love Life in 2016 in Charlotte, North Carolina at one abortion center. And ever since, we've spread across the nation. We have 19 official launched cities all across America, praise God. And we've seen the Lord save over 4,600 babies in response to a consistent Christian witness outside of the abortion centers. Yes, let's give it up for the Lord. In addition to that, um, we are inviting you this week, as Pastor Jared had said, this is week six of our 40-week journey of hope, and this is your adoption week. This is Calvary Chapel Walnut Creek's adoption week. And we're going to invite you to fast and pray with us on Wednesday and to come to a peaceful prayer walk on Saturday in Antioch. We have seen over the years that when the church is fasting and praying and showing up to the darkest place in our city or in our community, we see a 70% decrease in abortion services just because the church is praying. That's amazing, isn't it? 
every one of us can be a part of that. We've seen over 140,000 people come out to a prayer walk. We've seen uh, 46 abortion workers leave the industry, some of which are now serving on our teams. And so not only did they leave the abortion industry, but now they are proclaiming life and they're on the winning side, on the side of Christ. We've seen 800, over 800 churches, just like Calvary Chapel, Walnut Creek, partner with Love Life to bring hope and healing to women um, and to uh, come and join us at a prayer walk. And we've seen over 3,500 people connect beyond the prayer walk to be a mentor to a mom in need, to go to the sidewalks with us, to share the gospel of Jesus. It's been such an incredible honor to serve in this ministry. We're going to show you another video here, and it's just going to be a clip of our week 40 recap of last year. Um, this will be able to show you what a prayer walk looks like. Amen. God definitely is calling us to do hard things. It is hard to leave the comfort of your four walls of church or the four walls of home and to go out to a very dark area and proclaim the praises of God and shine light in a very dark place. But that's what we're inviting each one of you to be a part of this week. Next slide. Oh, this one's good. <laughs> 
Thank you. So our Church Adoption Week model is based on Nehemiah 1, 2, and 3. Um, our vision is hear, pray, go, connect. As you know, Nehemiah heard about the broken down walls in Jerusalem. He, he prayed about the broken down walls in Jerusalem. He went to the broken down walls, and then he began to rebuild, right? And so that's what we believe God has called us to do. That's how we unite and mobilize. We've heard today about the tragic truth of abortion, and Pastor Jared has shared with us about what God's word says about life. And this week, we're going to invite you to uh, fast and pray with us. If you want to grab, there is a prayer point sheet on your chair as well as a connection card that we'll fill out here in just a moment. We're going to invite you to fast and pray with us on Wednesday. And then we're going to invite you to go to the abortion center where you'll be able to see in real time and stand and intercede on behalf of precious unborn babies. And then there will be an opportunity to connect. Maybe you have had deep pro-life convictions over the years and maybe have not known how to put those into place. I know that was me for several years. The Lord burdened me on this issue, but I didn't know what to do. And praise God, Love Life is a vehicle to be able to put your convictions into action. Next slide. We believe that God is calling each one of us to action. Amen. He demonstrated his love towards us when he left all of heaven. He laid his life down for each one of us so that we could be reconciled to God. And he has called his disciples to follow him. And so it's one thing to believe. It's one thing to know. But God wants us to do as well. Next slide. We do have a code of conduct. Chances are the abortion center will be closed when you come out to the prayer walk. But even if it's open, we are not engaging with anybody who is for abortion. If women are going to be going into the abortion center, we'll have a trained team that knows how to sidewalk counsel and to reach out to the women. We're going to stand there and we're going to pray. Amen? Amen? Next slide. So join us. If you see there's a connection card on your seat with a pen, I'm going to invite you all to fill that out, to just take a minute to fill that out. Go ahead and do that right now, and we'll collect them in just a moment. This is how we're going to be getting all of the information out to you, the address of where to show up, um, specific details about the prayer walk to know before you come out. Next slide. So again, to believe is to commit. And so just an, as an act of commitment today, there's no power in and of, its, of this, what I'm going to ask you to do, but it's just a declaration before the Lord and before us 
um, that you are saying right now you're going to commit to be all in this week with fasting and praying, with showing up if you can be there on Saturday. So I'd like you to bring your connection card and just go ahead and place them here on the stage just as an act of commitment before the Lord. And then we will collect those and make sure that all of the information that is needed uh, gets sent out to you. So you can go ahead and place them here on the stage. Thank you. For those on that side, you can come here if you'd like. Amen. Next slide. Sure, we can put these up there. Thank you so much. If you need a pen, go ahead and keep them. If if you want to return them, we'll take them on the table back there. But praise God. Thank you so much for your commitment. I do also want to point out that we are on social media platforms. If you want to stay updated, I find out news sometimes on our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And um, in closing, I do want to say this, that abortion is not the unpardonable sin. So I know that there's going to be a time where, um, of prayer at the end of this service. And so if you know somebody who personally has had an abortion, if you have abortion in your past, if you're just incredibly burdened over this issue and it's overwhelming and it's a lot, I just want to encourage you this morning um, to come and seek prayer. God is going to meet us in that place. I know when I said yes to him, I didn't know what to do, but I knew that I needed to do something, and God took my yes, and here I am with you this morning. And so I thank you um, for being here and for your commitments to the Lord. God bless you. Thank you, Sophia. So, you know, just kind of in closing here, just as, you know, Sophia shared, you know, what, what we've heard and know we need to be praying about, right? It's not enough to just hear that stuff's broken down, there's destruction, and we got to be praying because if God's not doing those things in us, we could even fall through to some of these things. We could show up, but you know what? If it's not the Spirit of God moving in our lives and, and getting us on board with what He's wanting to do, then it's just gonna kind of it's just gonna kind of fall off. Like, okay, we'll show up on Saturday, but we're not gonna really pray consistently moving forward. We're maybe not gonna be the people who are ready if someone if God brings a, a woman or a man here to the church who is in need of support, we're not gonna be ready because we've those things happen, that readiness happens as we're seeking the heart of God right? And so we need to be praying for those things. And again, we have that opportunity this Wednesday to pray. Uh, we have that opportunity on Saturday to pray. But I just, I wanted to close with just sort of a final thought here. Uh, you know, we've mentioned this many times in our studies of Nehemiah, that passage from, from Ezekiel. But God is still looking for men and women to be willing to build the wall, to be a part of his work, 
of rebuilding and renewal, willing to stand in the gap before him on, in prayer on behalf of others. And in order to do that, we, we first have to gain God's heart and God's perspective about the, the, the gap, the brokenness that exists. And I believe God wants to bring revival to us personally. You know, that we wouldn't be those who are, who are kind of cold and calloused because of everything that we hear and we see, but that our hearts would be soft and able to be moved and shaped by the Lord in these days. And God wants that to start with you and me. As, you know, we pray for a revival sometimes. It's like, we're, we're not thinking about it here right now. We're thinking about it like another time with another group. Like, God, bring revival to our nation. But it's like, no, revival starts with an individual. And so it's got to start with each of us personally and with our church corporately. And I want us to be praying for that. And then God's going to work. God's going to lead us. He's going to give us those open doors and this morning, you know, maybe even this morning for, for some, that, that issue is maybe not an issue of abortion, but you know what? God values the lives of every single one of us from the womb to the tomb, as we say. And so whether abortion is something in your past or not, there's brokenness that we deal with that oftentimes we need God to bring healing and hope and restoration and renewal in us. And, and maybe even for someone this morning, it's just, you know what? You just need... Jesus' free gift of salvation in your own life personally. And so let's pray before the worship team closes us out. I said one song, but I think we'll, let's, do, let's do two. Uh, but Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, God, for this time this morning to be reminded, Lord, of your, your, uh, what your word says about life, Lord God. Lord, would we catch your heart, Lord? Lord, would you give us a burden for life? Lord, from, for the womb all the way to the tomb, Lord, would we see people the way that you do? Would we see life, Lord, the way that you do? Lord, would we value life the way that you do, Lord? And would that start in the womb? God, and so God, rally us around those things that are close to your heart. God, make us mobilized as individuals, as a church. God, to know how to come alongside those who are in need. Lord, those in desperate sorts of situations, those that are dealing with crisis sorts of events maybe in their life connected to an unplanned pregnancy, that God, we as a church would be the people who are the people of care, the people of compassion, Lord, the, the people whose doors and hearts are open and are ready, Lord, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those. And so, Lord God, would you prepare us even now? Lord, I believe you already have been, but Lord, continue to. And God, would we know how to respond? Would we know how to show up, Lord? Would we know how to love and, and care for people well and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord? Not that just babies would be saved, but the Lord's souls would be saved for the kingdom of God. And Lord, this morning, if there's anybody here and they just, you know, they just need to know, Lord, that you value their life. That Jesus, you're about them. That the thief has come only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, you came to give life and that more abundantly, Lord. And, and this morning, maybe there are some who just haven't experienced the salvation of Jesus for, their, for themselves. I just encourage, if there's anybody here today and, and you just need the forgiveness, the grace, the salvation of Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand? 
Did you know this morning that Jesus is for you? He loves you. He gave his life for you and for me. Maybe some this morning, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand up, but maybe you're in that place of brokenness. Maybe abortion is something that you've had in the past. And this morning, you are, you're, you're carrying around those hurts, those wounds. And maybe those things have kept you from the Lord when actually Jesus is going, I want you, come to me. And he's wanting to do a work of restoration in your life, of healing, of forgiveness, to just overflow you with his love and his grace. If that's anybody this morning, just know between you and the Lord, he's beckoning you even now to come to his throne of grace. The throne of grace. There is a white throne judgment, sort of judgment throne that's coming, but the throne that Jesus tells us to come to, it's a throne of grace. What you're going to find when you come to Jesus is grace and healing and life and hope and joy and peace. And so go to Jesus this morning. Let him touch those areas of your heart that are broken. If that's abortion, then God, know that God has forgiveness for you healing for you, if that's something else that you've just dealt with in your past and you're carrying around those hurts, those wounds, that you would know that Jesus is calling out to you this morning in the same way. Come to his throne of grace. Oh Lord, would you mobilize us? Lord, would you unite us? Would you empower us, Lord, as people individually, as your church corporately here at Calvary Chapel Walnut Creek, Lord, to be about your mission, your kingdom, which is a a mission of life, Lord, to bring life to those who are dead in sin and trespasses, to make disciples. And so, Lord, we thank you. We love you. We want to respond now to these things with songs of praise, opportunities to be prayed for, taking the communion elements. Lord, continue to move here as we sing these final two songs. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.